Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vox Exploration Podcast. This is episode number three of season two. Today my guest is Jamie Bernstein. She is an author, narrator, and filmmaker. She is also a devoted mother, a great communicator, a super fun person to be around, and the daughter of legendary composer-conductor Leonard Bernstein and pianist and actress Felicia Montealegre. She grew up in a very intense household filled with excitement and passion. It is such a wonderful treat for me to interview her and today we explore one of Jamie's many talents as a narrator. To me, narration and music have long been a fascinating concept. Narration and music uniquely mixes storytelling and music. In some ways, it takes me right back to my early childhood when I listened to hundreds of children's stories accompanied by amazing music written by the best composers of that generation of the 70s and 80s. The combination of the music and the sound of the storyteller allowed for me and my mind to take on visual flights into so many directions, and this passion followed me into adulthood. So today, among other things, we talk about narration in symphonic music. So let's dive right in and welcome our guest, Jamie, and start by asking, how did you get into this? Uh, it's a good question about how I got into the narration thing. It was sort of an accident. You know, for many, many years, I pursued a career as a singer and songwriter. And uh, the, the whole time that I was playing the guitar and the piano and singing and writing songs, I was always in a state of agony about the whole thing because there was this little voice in my head that would say, who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? And how dare you even attempt to be a musician when there is this incredible musician in your family, my dad. Oh, wow. This is amazing information, Jamie. I had no idea that uh, you were singing and that you wrote songs, nor did I know that having a famous father was in any way going to produce such weight and put this on your shoulders. It was very hard not to draw comparisons. And comparisons, as we know, are odious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be very, very destructive. In the book that I wrote, Famous Father Girl, the memoir, I describe it as having one foot on the gas and the other foot on the brake simultaneously all the time. That's how I was about making music. Mm -hmm. And so the words, the narrative must have come after all of that. Uh, by accident, I wound up uh, designing and narrating a young people's concert, very much like the ones my father used to do on television in which I talked about his music in a concert designed for kids. And this was my first attempt to do something involving talking instead of making music. Mm -hmm. And how was that for you? It turned out to be such a satisfying experience that I did much more of it. And I wound up narrating concerts and talking about music. And this turned out to be an unforeseen solution to my lifelong problem because it kept me in the world of music. You know, the what do you think you're doing and who do you think you are voice went away mm -hmm. because I wasn't making music with my own body. But I was still in the world of music. And so out of that whole experience, I also discovered that I could do narration in music as part of pieces that included a narration, such pieces as Aaron Copland's A Lincoln Portrait or Walton's Facade 
or also my father's own symphony number no. three, Kaddish, which has a big narration, which I never wanted to do myself, but eventually I wrote my own version of a narration for that piece. And I did that narration, have done it many times. So that, that became by accident, my new uh, career, I guess, talking about and in music, just not making the music itself with my own body. I wanted to ask you, what other kinds of projects did you do narration for? Voiceover, any kind of works for radio? Uh, I, I did lots and lots of radio. And that was another place where I discovered I was extremely comfortable. And one of my most favorite jobs was hosting uh, the New York Philharmonic's concerts on the radio, live. Live, oh wow. And also going up to Tanglewood in Massachusetts and hosting concerts live for the radio up there. I did much live radio for WQXR in New York, New York City, and I also did it for the BBC in the UK. These are quite high-profile gigs, and um, were you ever nervous about those engagements? Was the pressure ever too high for you? You know, it's funny, you know, I, for all of the unbelievable agita that I had about making music myself, all of that was gone when I was on live radio. I loved it. Of course, I had adrenaline and, you know, I was all keyed up for it, but I wasn't at all panicking. I always felt comfortable talking. I can talk in front of people. No problem. <laughs> I love this. Look, I'm going to take a quick moment here to play a little excerpt of... Leonard Bernstein's Kaddish Symphony and then ask Jamie you a really big question which has been bugging me all week long. I really want to know the reason behind why you changed the words to your father's symphony. Oh, disclaimer, the narrator here is Felicia Montialegre, Jamie's mother. Sleep, my father. Rest your anger, dream softly. Let me invent your dream, dream it for you as gently as I can. And perhaps by dreaming, I can help you find your image again and love him again. I'll take you to your favorite star, the world most worthy of your creation. We'll make it a sort of holiday And hand in hand, like eager children, we'll watch in wonder, wide-eyed, the workings of perfectedness. The way it all happened for me to narrate my father's Symphony Number no. Three, Kaddish, was that the conductor James Conlon invited me to narrate the piece for his Cincinnati May Festival. This was back in the early 2000s, and I categorically refused to do it. No way would I ever narrate my father's Symphony Kaddish because, among other reasons, for one thing, the very first line of this narration that my father wrote, which is a kind of argument with God. The first line is, oh, my father. Now in the narration that he wrote, that refers to his spiritual creator. But I was so embarrassed at 
the prospect of speaking this line myself and having anyone in the audience wonder, gee, which father is she talking about, her spiritual one or her biological one? And that the, the very idea of that was so embarrassed me that I would absolutely never do it. And so I told Maestro Conlon I wouldn't do it. And he just kept badgering me. Oh, come on, come on, come on. And, and I said no. And I finally said, I tell you what, I will ask my father's executor of his estate if I could get permission to change the narration uh, because I was certain I would never get such permission. And then I would be off the hook for this project. But to my amazement, my father's executor, Harry Kraut said, oh, sure, you can change the narration. Lenny changed it all the time. <laughs> so I was stuck with the gig. <laughs> And I wound up peeling off my father's various narrations that he had uh, provided over the course of his life. And, in st and so I had to listen to the music all by itself to think about how to insert a brand new narration of my own. And that was how I fell in love with this piece, which I had always resisted my whole life. Why did you resist it so much? A ram, a rock, shall I smite it? There, it gushes, it gushes, and I did it. I am running this dream. Now will you believe? Because the, the narration that my father originally wrote was for my mother to narrate. She was an actress and she had a beautiful voice and a beautiful sort of semi-British and South American accent because she was raised in Chile. So she had this beautiful way of speaking. And her narration of this piece, which I heard as a very young child, really upset me because it was so melodramatic. It was so big and very dramatic. And so when you're a little kid, it's very embarrassing to hear your parent speak that way. <laughs> and my brother and sister and I were all sort of allergic to this piece because we just couldn't take this over-the-top narration, which is an argument with God, a sort of fist-shaking at the heavens. So basically you had to shake everything off and start from scratch. Once I took that off, I had to really listen to the music and immerse myself in it for the very first time. And that's when I discovered how extraordinary the music was in this piece. And I wound up writing my own narration, which is still an argument, but this time with my biological creator. I'm arguing with my own father in this narration. So it's like an overlay of arguments. He argued with God and I argued with my father. Hmm. And what was your argument with your father about in this case? The argument is all about his music. And why are you making it so complicated, so dissonant? Why is there so much 12-tone in there? I know you want to write a beautiful tune. And he does in many, many parts of the symphony. But I, I keep asking. Interesting. And your questions, are the questions ever answered at any point during the piece? Well, I have my notions, and I put that in the narration. Um, and I, I just think that's part of who he is is that he has to constantly ask these difficult questions and that he likes it to get complicated. That's what I finally understood, was that this is just his way of expressing himself. Jamie, is there a parallel between the original narration and yours? Just as he comes to terms with God in his narration, I come to terms with my father 
in my narration. I love that. I think it's just very powerful and satisfying in a way, I guess. Now, changing gears a little bit, you mentioned your mother's accent. I am so incredibly obsessed with accents. Um, I have an accent. And um, anyway, I love that. Can you tell me about her accent? What is this accent of hers? She uh, studied English in school growing up. And I'm guessing that her English teachers spoke with a British accent. Also, when she studied acting herself, um, she learned how to speak with this kind of, you know, British sound. The way many actresses did, even American actresses, spoke with this kind of semi-British sound back in the mid-20th century. If you listen to, you know, the actresses and movie stars from that time, they all kind of sounded like that. Deborah Carr and, and, and you know, Betty Davis and... Joan Fontaine, they all had this very perfumed way of speaking. You know, as soon as you mentioned these names, I was like, bingo. For years, I've tried to understand or even identify where do these accents come from? It had absolutely never occurred to me that they may have been fabricated. So I, I went online and I found this little clip of Betty Davis in an interview. Let's check it out. Also, this is to thank you. For the night I was ill and couldn't come, and you made it very clear, you and Mr. Sheehan, that I was ill, as indeed I was, and I finally realized you have a hit show. It's wonderful. What about you? What about your accent? Where do you draw it from? The reason why I ask is because I love the sound of your voice and the way you speak. It's very nice. I can understand every word you say. Oh, good. That's good. Well, you know, maybe because of radio and also because of speaking to live audiences, whenever I speak to either a live audience or to, you know, on the air, I'm so conscious of wanting to make sure that the person furthest away from me is hearing what I'm saying. So maybe that's, you know, what helped me be a good narrator, because I, I'm always thinking about making sure that the person in the last row can hear what I'm saying, staying with me. You know, I want them to be engaged and involved in what I'm talking about. And for kids too, I think maybe my best training was narrating kids' concerts because they're the toughest audience. They are so easily distracted. And so I kind of really worked hard to engage them and to keep their focus on me. And part of the way I do that is to project my voice, to like push it all out there and make sure that they can understand every word I'm saying. Yes, let's listen to a little bit of your narration of the Kaddish Symphony, movement number two. Amen, amen. If you said it enough, maybe it would be true. Shlama Rabbah. May abundant peace descend on us, amen. This God, who allegedly makes peace on high, who can juggle suns, spin moons, and boss the stars around. Surely, my father reasoned, surely such a god could bring a touch of order here below on this one dazed speck. And he said it yet again. Amen. 
Jamie, coming from a family like larger than life, has have to have some impact on the way that you speak as well. No, that's true. They both had this ability to project their voices and and maybe even to to speak from their diaphragm, which is a thing I think about all the time too. You know, there's a way of speaking where if it's all up here and it's kind of breathy, it just doesn't really come out of you. And if you speak at the kind of at the top of your vocal range, it sounds kind of weak. But if you talk from down here, it's going to make a bigger impact. <laughs> so it sounds like the family might have been a little bit loud. <laughs> My family is really loud. We are all really loud. And when we sit at dinner together, it's deafening and everybody's talking on top of everybody else. And that's maybe our training ground for really cutting through and trying to make your voice heard. So I, I think I had a lifelong training at the dinner table. Oh my goodness. But did you have formal training like theater? Not really. And you know, it's ironic because my brother and sister both studied drama. They were both studying to be actors like our mom was. Um, but I didn't go in that direction. I went in the direction of music for a while anyway. But the irony is that it turned out that I was the real ham of the family, the one who liked getting up in front of audiences and being obnoxious and showing off. Oh, and the singing, did you completely stop singing? I stopped because, because of the voice in my head telling me that I sucked. Hmm. It was too painful. And you know, it was very painful to set it aside. And I still, I listened to my old songs and I, I love my songs. They're like my kids, you know, my other kids. So I miss it. But in my book, I described it as having cut off the ailing limb to allow the rest of the organism to thrive. So I'm a kind of musical amputee, but I'm a very cheerful and pretty high functioning musical amputee because I found this other thing to do, the talking. When I narrate concerts, it keeps me completely smack in the middle of the world of music. Yes. And let me know something. This voice that you hear in your head, the voice that tells you not to sing, not to write music, you know, the judgmental voice. Was it only in your head or was it something that you heard from other people as well? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, in a way, I heard it through other people, yes, because... It took a long time for me to get a record deal. This is while I was living in Los Angeles in the 80s. And I was trying to get a record deal and being turned down over and over and over again. So that was a kind of outside voice telling me that I was no good, wasn't it? It was a confirmation of what I feared myself, that I wasn't good enough. Then when I did finally get my record deal, I made the record, which was an amazing, exciting challenging experience. And it took, you know, a, a long time the way records do. And it was finally done. And I handed it into the record company. They listened to it and they decided they didn't like it. And they announced that, that they were not going to release the recording. The end. Oh my God, that's so awful. That was the biggest ouch of my whole life. Yes, this is hard. And all these incredible stories, all of them are in your book. Famous Father Girl, which is in print, and also audiobook with you narrating it. I'm so excited to get a copy this week. 
Now, I'd love to close this podcast episode with Jamie narrating the first movement of the symphony. This is symphony number three by Leonard Bernstein, and it's a programmatic choral symphony. It's a huge work. This one is conducted by Leonard Slatkin, conducting the BBC Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, the BBC Singers, London Oratory School, Schola, with Anne Murray Soprano, and, of course, Jamie Bernstein. Thank you for listening. And see you next time. My father, who addressed his creator when I was only small, my lonely nocturnal rambler of a father, my brilliant bedeviled fist shaker, how he prayed. He wanted to say Kaddish. his own Kaddish. just in case no one was left to say it after him. prayed with all his might. Yitkadal v'yitkadash shemei rabah. Amen.